to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by me, Kenny, and Heather. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Your Next from 2010. This is our Thanksgiving episode. As we get into the plot, maybe you'll see why this is an appropriate movie for Thanksgiving. But this was a movie released in 2010 from the team of director Adam Wingard and writer Simon Barrett who also did A Horrible Way to Die and The Guest. It stars Sharni Vinson as Aaron, A.J. Bowen as Crispin, Barbara Crampton, who is a scream queen best known for her starring role in Reanimator as Aubrey. And several of the supporting cast members were young indie filmmakers like Wingard himself, Joe Swanberg, Amy Simitz, Larry Fessenden, and Ty West, who is best known for The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers, two other cool recent horror movies. So, um, spoiler warning as usual, and kind of like with Tenebrae, I really recommend watching the movie before because it does have some twists that we're going to spoil as we talk about it, um, but here goes. So, in the movie, uh, we start off with the young college prof Crispin and his girlfriend Erin, who are heading to a remote house in the country to attend a family reunion at the vacation home of Crispin's wealthy parents. There we meet the whole bunch, Mother Aubrey, Father Paul, brothers Felix and Drake, sister Amy, Felix's girlfriend Z, Drake's wife Kelly, and Amy's boyfriend Tariq. Got all that? Good. Aubrey is already on edge when her children arrive because a noise from upstairs made her suspect that someone else was in the house. Unbeknownst to the family, the intruder was one of a group of masked men who murdered the neighbors in an opening scene. As the kids bicker over dinner, Tariq sees something outside the window and walks over to take a look. He gets a crossbow bolt in the head from one of the killers, sending the family into a panic. As more family members get picked off, Erin proves to be a skilled and cool-headed survivor and becomes the hero of the film. As she tries to fend off the attackers, their motivation for assaulting this particular wealthy family is uncovered. Alright, so... um. What did you think of this one? I This is one of my favorite movies, but uh, I don't think you've ever seen it before, Heather. No, I have not. Um, uh, so what was your general impression? Well, I knew almost nothing about it going in, so it was like really, you know, a blind experience. Um, I really, really, really liked it up until the end. Hmm. Interesting. This there was so much about it that was different for me that I was like, I didn't expect it to like it that much while it was going on. I was just like, oh, my God, fuck, yes. But then (laughs) in like the last 30 seconds, it all went to hell. And I was like, why would you do this? Hmm. Why done this thing? Yeah, you know, I almost think I had the opposite reaction because I, I saw this in the theater when it came out and there was a lot of buzz behind it. Um, but I didn't really know what I was getting into. And for the first, like, 20, 30 minutes of the film, I was sitting there going, like, ah, why am I watching this? Um, it just seemed kind of like a formulaic slasher movie, and it did a lot of things that annoyed me in the beginning. But then it's just kept getting better and better and better, and by the end, it's like, oh my god, this is so good. Um, so it really, like, gradually brought me on board the first time I watched it. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think we're going to disagree about the ending. Um, it's an odd way to start off our discussion, but um, what, what is it about the ending that 
that uh, uh, didn't work for you. I felt weird about bringing up the ending that quickly, but I mean, that's my honest answer for that question. You know, it's like, but and I'll get into the 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 stuff about you know why I really liked it. Like mm-hmm. I'll definitely talk about all that, but I feel like she. I, okay, so maybe I don't fully understand the ending and, like, what happened there. But I don't, I mean, the fact that she got shot. Yeah, I so do you want to, um, like, lay out the, the twist? The twist at the, at the end? Or? Sure, so, like, in my plot summary, I didn't really cover the, the twist. Um, the twist being that she was raised in like a survivalist camp well okay so that's one thing yeah so um we get a little uh explanation for why Aaron is so good at killing people when she tells z that she was raised in a survivalist compound but i guess like the you know twist that you shouldn't know going in the first time is that um it's an inside job um that uh several of the siblings have conspired to um murder their parents and their other siblings in order to get the inheritance because this is the uh dad i think works for like an arms company so there's some like poetic justice i guess although it's kind of interesting because you know the killers don't actually use any firearms um they use all these like medieval type weapons a crossbow and a hatchet and stuff like that yeah, I don't know why, because I'm not normally good at this, so this is not a brag whatsoever. But as soon as the first guy got shot with the crossbow, I was like, inside job. Hmm. I don't know why I knew, because I'm normally the last to figure shit like that out. But somehow, that was like, I just always knew. And I, I didn't know anything going into this movie. I didn't even know what the plot was. so I. I don't know why I picked up on that so quickly, but I just... What, what I, was it about that moment that... I don't know. ...hinted that? I literally can't explain it. It was just, like, the words inside job just, like, flashed in my head, and I was like, oh, shit. So I, hmm. I kind of held on to that statement throughout the whole movie. So when that big plot twist happened, I was like, oh, knew it. You know, like, wasn't a big deal for me. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a... There's a double twist, right? So first we find out that... Um, Felix and Z were in on it. And then at the very end of the film, after Aaron has dispatched them, uh, Felix's cell phone goes off and she picks it up and it's Crispin on the other side Mm -hmm. saying, you know, can I come back? Is it all finished yet? So we find out that he was in on it as well. Uh, That's Aaron, our heroine's boyfriend. Um, And then he comes back. Uh, she kills him and then she gets shot by a police officer who's arrived, um, finally. And then the cop gets hit by a trap that, uh, Aaron set up for the killers. And that's the end of the film. I saw that coming too. I saw that he was in on it pretty much from the beginning. Like as soon as he was gone and like, didn't come back right away. I'm like, yeah, he's in on this because either they would have shown him dying or you know what i mean like he wouldn't just fuck off for most of the film without them like showing it that's why i just knew i'm like okay well he's in on it whatever i like didn't even think about it 
So now we have sort of established what happens in the ending. Um, what do you think it was about it that you didn't like? The ending? Yeah. Well, I, I really, this is so typical of me, like, going to be, yeah, annoyed. But um, You just got so attached to that police officer in the 20 seconds that he was on screen that you were upset when he died. No, but I mean, that's a pretty fair... <laughs> <laughs> assumption i got really attached to aaron mm -hmm. and loved her as the heroine in this movie because she was doing things so differently than the classic like i mean we've we see that a lot where there's like one person left yeah and it's usually a girl right the final girl yeah. we see that a lot but she was doing things that were so differently she was like the anti-damsel in distress right so I was so fucking on board. I can't even I was man, I was just I had an adrenaline high on the, on what she was doing in this movie. It was like everything that I imagined you know how certain aspects of it are like how I would imagine I would handle it. Yeah. I'm not I wasn't raised in a survivalist camp or whatever, but there was just the way that she always finished them off. Mhm. Mm like she didn't that's like a common trope in horror movies is they're like oh my god he's not really dead you know because you didn't finish the job but she right. did, always like confirmed the kill and i was so obsessed with that and then for her for that cop to show up and just shoot her first of all he didn't even like say like drop your weapon or anything right well he sees her attacking crispin and he doesn't I know, know the context i still feel like that that shouldn't have happened and he just uh, i mean have you been watching the news <laughs> cops like to right. shoot people yeah they sure do um so that was disappointing and but then she didn't die so i was like okay whatever but then he gets his you know he whatever i don't know if he got full-on decapitated or what but um, well it wouldn't have decapitated him the axe comes down like vertically from the ceiling so it would have like hit him in the forehead i think oh okay i i don't really remember the like exact like mechanical construct of that booby trap but um i remember that happening and then i was like oh shit she's so screwed um oh, you think so i mean I she's know. the only one left alive to tell the tale right she can tell whatever story she wants i know but i imagined like the crime scene and like what they see and it's just first of all i imagine just months of research and i i thought way too hard about it basically mm. um is that what you think you think that she survived and was like this is what happened and then she was okay and everybody goes home happy well in a way i mean if we're going to think about this as if it's a real situation which it's not like you know at the end of the movie the movie's over um I can't help but, but if we're gonna think about it like you know overthink it yeah. um i i think it's it's probably good for aaron that the cop got killed because because I mean, he's, he's an idiot no because he saw her murdering crispin mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who was unarmed so oh, yeah. you're not even if somebody is a bad person you're not supposed to 
stab him in the neck and then in the eyeball. That's another thing that I loved so much about it because he was blathering on with his nonsense and like, oh, like we could go, you know, we'll split the money and your student loans and we we can be engaged. And I'm just like, stab him, stab, 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 (laughs) get the knife. Yeah, you. Yeah. Walk forward. Yeah. Get him. Yeah, there you go. Just a little bit. Yeah, I was like so excited when she when she killed him. That like made my whole life. I was so happy. So yeah, I guess you're right. And um this is the exact conversation I was hoping to have because I was like watching it and I'm like, "Oh, well, maybe I'm interpreting this wrong and and then when we talk about it, it'll be better." So I like your interpretation of the ending. Hmm. Yeah, I also think the ent- ending is uh, kind of interesting in that it kind of, I don't want to say it breaks the rules, but it it breaks our expectation for, like, what an ending is going to be. We're expecting, like, a more of a resolution to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, the cop getting killed, it's like, that opens a new, whole new can of worms, you know, instead of, we think when the cop shows up, it's going to be like, okay, now everything's all right. But then there's yet another, you know, gory kill. And it just leaves leaves us on that. Um, which, so, I don't know. It left me with kind of like a nihilistic vibe. Um, that, like, um, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of, like, the ending of Paranormal Activity. Do you know that one? I've never seen it because ghosts are, like, the most terrifying thing in the whole world to me. Okay, well, I won't tell you about it, because we'll probably watch it. I can't watch um, it. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't know, there's some endings where, at the end, the movie kind of, like, winks at you, you know? Like, mm-hmm. aha, you know? It's, it's like the last chance the movie has to get a scare in, or get something crazy, and it's like, um, at this point, it doesn't... Like, it can break the rules of the plot logic because who cares it's the end of the movie you know yeah. <laughs> um and nothing else has to happen so that kind of i don't know kind of felt like one of those um and it, it was also kind of fun in that it's like i don't know that whole ending to me is like this great um like uh sequence of like dominoes falling over or like you know the other shoe dropping um, I don't know. I saw. I looked at some reviews of the movie, and one of them was saying, "Yeah, the performances are great and the effects and whatever, but it's just really poorly written." I couldn't disagree more because uh, I think the writing is so cool. How like there's so many setups and payoffs. Like everything that happens is like a payoff to something that was set up earlier in the film. Like nothing comes out of nowhere. And then at the end of the movie, it's like boom, 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 boom. Like all these things that have been set up earlier that we might have forgotten about come back right so crispin going off on his own pays off um when he shows up again and it's like oh now we understand why he was hanging out in the woods for so long and the uh uh thing where um aaron texted 911 because of the cell phone jammer and she said like yeah there's something where if you text it they can get the message eventually even if there's no cell service Mm-hmm. That comes back because the cops show up. Um, and then when the cop goes around to the front, then that trap that she set up earlier pays off. So it's like everything is paying off right in her own. It's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Um, so I thought that was cool. Totally, I didn't even remember that part about 
the 911 and the jamming and the cop. I just thought the cop showed up because I, I, you know, I didn't even think about it. I was really preoccupied with other things. But yeah, that attention to detail is really something special. Yeah. And that's something I really like about this one versus like other similar movies like um, The Strangers. Did you see that one? No. Well, that's a similar, that's like a home invasion movie where a bunch of people in masks are like terrorizing these people in a house that's like off in the country somewhere. So it's like a similar premise. But in that one, like the killers don't have any motive and they can just kind of like appear anywhere that the plot needs them to be. Um, Like Jason Voorhees, you know, like they kind of like teleport. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's no sense of like the geography being consistent and they, they always like show up behind the character just for the purpose of scaring the audience. And then they like, don't do anything. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of annoying things where it just feels like the script is just written like, okay, we need a scare here. We need one here. We need one here. And then they just put it in. Whereas here, it's like everything that happens has been carefully set up and so that it makes sense by some earlier thing in the story. Um, There's only like one part in the movie where I was like, I, this doesn't work. Hmm. What was that? And it's not even really, it's not like a dialogue issue or anything. It's the scene where the sister runs out of the house. Hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, so uh, the sister is Amy, and she runs right into the um, uh, razor wire that's that was been like, set up outside the door. That first of all, and this doesn't have anything to do with why I don't think it works. That was like the most like squicktastic death for me. Yeah, I, I love that part. I figured you did. I felt <laughs> like super realistic. Like they well, and it's so this. it's so unexpected because you're thinking she's going to run into a killer or something like you yeah. you don't suspect it any more than the characters do. And the idea of her like running out at full speed seems like such a great idea. But then it completely works against her. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, f- I feel like I have a lot of things about this scene. Why do you think they put that razor wire there? Well, just to um, do it like because even if you weren't running into it at full speed, it would still do some damage. That's a good point. Yeah. It's like if you think about it too much, it's like what? I think that's a weird trap. Um, I, I feel like there's that because because it's like there's no way they would have been able to imagine that. Well, who who came up with that plan? Because maybe. Whoever came up with that plan. It had been their idea to put the wire there in the first place. Well, I, I think um, this is an area where I definitely agree with you um, that, yeah, the writing sets things up and pays things off in, in a smart way. But if you really stop and think about it, like um, I think TV Tropes calls this fridge logic, where like you don't think about it while you're watching the movie necessarily. But then like late at night, you're kind of thinking like, hold on a second. And for me, it's like everything about their the killer's plan is just bizarre. Like, uh, and it doesn't really it doesn't add up. Like, like um, at the end, Crispin maybe he's lying, but Crispin tells Aaron she was supposed to survive. Like they were only planning to kill, you know, the like people they needed lie. to kill. But well, but certainly, um, the people who were in on it didn't want to get killed themselves, and yet the killers just seem to be shooting those crossbow bolts indiscriminately into the. Uh, dining room you know and like it, yeah. it's 
it's just really weird. Like they had the one guy hiding in the um uh upstairs closet and it's like, well, wouldn't that be enough? Couldn't he just go and kill people secretly? Like I don't know, it's it's such a complicated plan where they got guys stationed all over and they attack one by one and like you'd think they could just like just run in and massacre everybody or you know, especially if they had like guns instead of these like weird right. um exactly. ancient weapons. But you know, you kind of have to go with it. It's like, okay, it's, it's I know. For the movie. I don't I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Nobody likes that guy. It's like, oh my god, that's so unrealistic. Like, okay, fuck off. It's a movie, you know? Um but the thing that bothered me while I was watching the razor wire scene was the fact that like I just don't see them letting her go like if it i imagine it was my family mm. in the situation like my dad would be like over my dead body are you running out there like it just wouldn't have like most fathers would not allow their children to go yeah that's a good point it just wouldn't happen and the dad was like so calm about it too he was like okay here i'm just gonna open the door and there you go and just run out there it's like no it wouldn't happen yeah and that's another area where I think you kind of have to just go with the movie is that, you know, for yeah. the purpose of having scares and having characters get killed off without the killers just like walking in and holding everybody at gunpoint and tying them down and killing them, which would be boring. Um, they have to have people go off on their own constantly. And it's just never a good idea in this situation to like go 10 feet away even from the other characters. Um like, why Why would anyone ever do that? But people do that constantly. You know, and Aaron gets a lot of credit for being smarter than most movie heroines. But I think a lot of that is the movie um, just kind of deflects our attention from all the times that she lets people go off on their own or goes off on her own. Um, when, like, no, <laughs> she's smarter than that, right? Like, mm -hmm. why? She, I think she says, she, I mean, she does say when they're sort of pinned down, like, no, let don't have somebody go out. That's a bad idea. They're obviously out there. Yeah. But she doesn't really try to stop it. Um and you know, and then having uh Aubrey, uh the Barbara Crampton character go upstairs and lie in the bed, it's like, no, that's yeah. a that's a horrible idea. Who would do I know. that? I'm like thinking like, um, you're gonna send her up there by herself? Like what? And then um after she's killed, um then uh once they find the body everybody leaves and kelly stays behind and then she's in the room by herself and it's like okay this didn't work out so well last time <laughs> yeah why why would you do it again and why would you know aaron allow that i guess people yeah i guess the idea is like everybody's so freaked out and panicked and there's so many things going on that they're you know they don't notice that she stayed behind or whatever but you know, that's that's something you kind of have to just go with, right? Because there couldn't really be a movie if people didn't go off by themselves. Do we see in the beginning that the neighbor guy is dead? Um, it's it's just like the ending kill with the police officer where um, the the thing comes down to hit him and we cut to the um, just the blood splatter. And then that's the beginning of the movie. And that was the neighbor. Yeah. He's the guy. He's he's 
also a college professor who's screwing his student. So that's kind of like a theme or a motif, which I don't know how to feel about that that opening scene. I think in a way it's a really strong opening sequence. It has a lot of great shots in it. It does set up what I think is an interesting sort of theme of the film, which is like male sexual inadequacy. So like we see that this older uh, guy with the receding hairline is banging a chick who's way younger and hotter than him, and he thinks he's hot shit, but like we can see that she's bored. And um and that sort of thing sort of comes up over the course of the film. Um we see uh Drake, who's like the mean older brother who turns out to be secretly nice, um, trying to have sex with his wife, and she's like, I'm not into it, and so he just goes off to like take Valium instead. Um and then we have the scene where, which is hilarious, with uh, Z trying to have sex with Felix next to his dead mom. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that was <And> he's... bad. <laughs> and uh, he's he's not into it. Um, so there's, like, all these, you know, like, because you, know, you usually have sex in a slasher movie, right? It's a big thing. Like, the characters who have sex die and whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's usually, you know, nudity. But here it's, like, the sexual dynamics are always frustrated and the male characters are always like inadequate um so i don't know what to make of that but i think it's an interesting like little thing that keeps popping up and here's our our first instance of that in the opening scene i like the opening shot where it almost we see the the sex act through the crack in the door Mm -hmm. so we're already in like a killer's pov kind of thing which is a horror movie staple um but the 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 body's moving around out of focus it looks like it might be a murder going on so we're sort of not sure what's happening at the beginning um so there's a lot of things i like about the opening sequence but i also kind of think maybe the movie would be better if it wasn't there um both because i don't think it really makes that much sense i mean i get that they're like trying to kill the neighbors just to have them out of the way so that they aren't witnesses and call the cops when they're killing the family but why would they write your next in yeah. blood or red paint on the window that doesn't really make sense once you know the twist right um and then i just think it might be cooler if the movie sort of started out as like a family dramedy and then turned into a horror movie instead of right away announcing like this is a slasher movie this is a home invasion horror movie yeah i think that would be better too i just i didn't really like i said i got like confused by the neighbor stuff Mm. yeah well i think it's it's trying to be like a red herring it's trying to make you think that this is you know some crazy cult or a random jason Voorhees type serial killer yeah totally yeah um and i think that's what i didn't like about a lot of the early stuff in the movie it just felt formulaic to me and there's certain things that annoy me like um um this is kind of a pet peeve of mine is like scenes where basically nothing happens um and it's just there to build uh tension but nothing is happening while the tension is being built. So, like, there's a scene where um, Aubrey, the the mom played by Barbara Crampton, goes downstairs in the middle of the night and, like, gets something out of the fridge, and she's, like, puttering around the kitchen, 
And we're seeing this from a POV shot outside of the window, and we can see the the mask reflection in the window. So we can see that one of the masked killers is standing outside watching. Um, so it's like, you know, suitably creepy, I guess. It's establishing that, yes, they're being stalked, but it just it takes a while, and it's like, okay, so I'm watching some lady get milk out of the refrigerator. Like, she doesn't see it, you know? So, like, nothing from her perspective is happening. Um, so, I don't know. That kind of thing annoys me a little bit. Hmm. And then, you know, uh, Aubrey hearing the, the, like, really loud noise from upstairs mm-hmm. and then telling her husband to go check it out. And then he's, like, just about to look in the room where the killer is. And he get, we get the fake jump scare. Um, where, which is, uh, uh, is it Crispin has arrived? Yeah. I think it's Crispin. Yeah. And then he like, doesn't bother to check. He like gets distracted and forgets. And I don't know that kind of thing. Like just characters being dumb. Um, (laughs) well, I feel like that's pretty standard in a horror movie and we see it a lot less in this one than we normally do. So yeah. Like once shit goes down it gets a lot more interesting yeah definitely but i don't want to totally trash the earlier part of the movie because i think that's mostly where we see the sort of mumblecore aspect of it which is kind of interesting what does um, that mean i know what that means in in like aspect to like rap music but mm. i don't know what that means well so like there's a group of young indie filmmakers from the like 2000s and 2010s that are considered mumblecore um i think it has reference to the fact that a lot of the dialogue is improvised in their movies really and so the characters are like mumbling sometimes and talking over each other and so you have like more realistic conversations and like slice of life type stuff um and uh yeah and so adam wingard was sort of associated with that and this is like a horror mumblecore movie so like the the dining room scene is like the best example of that in the movie i think where you have like several different conversations going on at once and a lot of the dialogue between the family members is improvised by the actors no oh, i like that yeah and i think it, it works really well um i i like just how unlikable they make uh drake um the older brother that Crispin resents, who kind of picks on him, um, they make him so obnoxious, and he's like talking to Tariq about how commercials are like the height of the film art form. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what is it like after the father says grace? He's like, and also thanks to mom and dad, <laughs> in this yeah. like really like suck up kind of way, and like Crispin makes a face. And I don't know, there's just so much stuff where, I mean, I, the actor is really funny, too. Um, and uh, and it's a great sort of, uh, I don't know, it adds to the twist because it turns out he's like the only sibling who's not evil. Um, well, I guess him and Amy. Um, and then when he goes down into the basement with Felix, um, after he's woken up from uh, passing out after he had the uh, arrow in his back, he is like, oh, shit, we got to go out. We got to go outside and we got to try to find Crispin. Like, we can't leave him out there alone. Like, we got to go and try to help him. 
So we find out that like when the chips are down, he's actually like a good guy, and then Felix mm-hmm. kills him. Interesting. So I thought that was neat. Like, you know, it was a good choice as opposed to having him like always be like the nicer brother that he's like the one who picks on the others and is kind of a dick, but you know, he's not and evil. He's like the one who wasn't in on it. Right. Even though his wife's pretty annoying. Yeah. Yeah, and then she gets like the most brutal death in the film. I think. How does she die again? So she's the one who stays behind um in the room with uh Barbara Crampton's dead body. And I remember her she... like running shrieking into the forest and I'm like, "Oh, you're an idiot." Yeah. And that whole sequence, I think, is, like, one of the best in the film. I think the scene where she's in the bedroom, you know, as much as, like I was saying, like, it doesn't really make sense that she would want to hang out there or that the other characters would let her. But um, when she's she's piecing it together, basically, that the killer couldn't have jumped out of the window because she looks out the window and sees, like, what a far fall it is. And she's like, is the killer still in the room? And she kind of looks around, and then she looks under the bed. And that's my favorite scare in the movie. And I think it might be one of my favorite scares in any movie um, because it, I feel like it's the, the movie's one step ahead of you there. It's like it's like playing chess and you're playing checkers, you know, like um, at least that's what, how I felt when I first saw it. Right. Because when she bends down to look under the bed, it's like, OK, it's the killer's obviously not under the bed because we already saw him come out of the bed in the earlier scene. So it's not going to do the same thing twice. And also, you know, that's where she's looking. So, of course, he's going to be behind her when she stands up again, right? It's going to be a fake thing where she looks under and there's nobody there, right? Like um, Poltergeist, right? Like there's a million movies that do the same kind of thing. Like the there's the almost scare and then there's the real one. Yeah. But so it's like by doing the obvious thing, they... They they didn't do the obvious thing, you know, like it's like it was exactly where it makes sense for him to be. Um, he just went back under the bed um, and it's where she thought he would be. But that's what's scary is like because we were expecting the movie to be trickier than it was. So I thought that was like a real genius move. Totally. So um, let's see. Would you consider this a horror comedy? Did you find it funny? No. I have to say, I watched this with uh, my girlfriend, and she was, like, super pissed at me for showing this movie to her. You just recently watched it, and she watched it with you? Yeah. Is she speaking to you now? Yeah, yeah, she got over it, but (laughs) I have to say, the the humor was kind of lost on her. Why would you think that she would like this movie? Well, so she really likes Die Hard. That's one of her favorite movies, and I felt like, you know, this is kind of like, it's like Die Hard, right? Like Aaron is no. trapped in this no. enclosed space with these killer guys and they're armed and she's not and she's got to like outwit them. I don't know. It made me think of Die Hard. God, you could be so dumb. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, that was a bad idea. No, I, I mean, I, I definitely like, I don't know. I guess I, I understand where it was supposed to be funny and I would be like, huh. But I'd never, like, full-on laughed out loud or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. It just... I, what I, 
consider it. It wasn't strong enough in the humor department for me to put it under the the comedy category. Yeah. It's not like Evil Dead. Right. And I don't think it's trying to be. I mean, it's like um, the way the writer described it is um, Simon Barrett. The way he described it is um, there aren't any jokes in the movie. Like it's not written with like a setup and a punchline, mm. um, but there's just a humor that comes out of the absurdity of the situation and the the characters' interactions. And I don't know, it really works for me in certain scenes, um, like uh, when uh, Felix kills his brother Drake. He's like stabs him, and then Drake is just like you know staring at him in disbelief, and he has to stab him again. And they just keep stabbing him, oh, and he's yeah. like, "Why won't you?" Die? He's like, "Come on, just die already!" Like, can't you see how hard this is for me? Right? So it's like he's he's yeah. so egotistical and narcissistic. Like he he can't even think. He is upset that his brother's not thinking about his feelings while he's being stabbed to death. Yeah, I um, think. Yeah, I definitely get why that's funny. Um. The part that I found, like, the most funny, which is pretty fucked up, is, like, when Z is trying to have sex with him next to the mom's body. I was like, oh, this is fucked up, you know? Yeah, that was great, too. Yeah, um, that's that's what I thought was funny. Yeah, and she's like, you never want to do anything interesting. And he says, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's a fair criticism. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that's that was funny. Yeah, it's just, like, how out there the characters are you know in just like in their incredible narcissism and callousness and but they talk to each other still in like a a, a way that's feels believable i don't know yeah totally so coming back to the ending you might be interested to know that um uh in the script aaron dies at the end when the cop shoots her like that's that was going to be the end of the movie that everybody dies mm. Um, but once they started shooting it and they like realized like what a badass um Sharni Vinson is and how appealing that character was gonna be and how much the audience would identify with her, they decided to change it so that she doesn't die. Well, I'm really glad that she didn't die. Yeah. But I think that kind of makes the message a little messier than it might have been, because the writer Simon Barrett has said that he may have been influenced by the uh, Mario Bava Jalo Bay of Blood, um, which is one where all the characters, it sort of turns out that like everyone is the killer, like all the characters have been trying to kill each other, and they do in the end, they all uh, kill each other off, and so none of the characters are left alive at the end of the film. Um, the original title of it was like Ecology of Murder, because they're all fighting over, uh, again, an inheritance. Um, but it's like the land rights for this bay, this beautiful, like untouched bay. Um, and they want to, certain characters want to get the rights so that they can um, develop it and kind of like ruin it. Um, and so at the end of the film, you know, this series of murders has resulted in the bay being saved. You know, nature is like kind of saved by these crazy people all killing each other. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like an, it's sort of an archetypal story that you find in a lot of different things like treasure of the Sierra Madre, um, or, you know, even going back to like Chaucer's partner's tale where like everybody fights over the treasure and then in the end they all kill each other. And so nobody gets it. Um, mm. and the message is like, you know, 
uh like individualistic self-assertion and egotism kind of like cancels itself out and so it's self-destructive and you know nobody gets what they want um so this movie kind of it kind of has that message to it right where like the people that wanted to get the inheritance don't get it but it's less because they killed each other off and more because like they fucked with the wrong chick um yeah you know like aaron just turned out to be like a super badass and they didn't count on that i really like that line don't worry about crispin like he's strong or something and she's like mm, he's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i was like oh shit like i loved it so much what what about that i just really liked it yeah I yeah that she's she's with him and she knows that he's like a wimp right. but she doesn't really care right yeah the brothers names are kind of neat felix and crispin so uh they're kind of uh i think they play into the the twist because uh felix means like happy or fortunate and crispin is literally a saint saint crispin did you is this in the is this in the behind the scenes or did you literally look up their names and what they mean no i just knew when uh, you knew was it Latin? Well, yeah, Felix is is happy or fortunate in Latin. Oh. That's where I like in Spanish. Happy is feliz. Okay. Wow. I and, didn't know uh, I'd hate this answer so much. <laughs> and Crispin, I know because um, of Shakespeare, of course, and uh, Henry V. They have the the Saint Crispin's Day speech. Wow. Wow. So. I think most people who've heard of the name Crispin before will probably think of that. Actually, um, I just think of like crispy. <laughs> like I think of like tacos or something. So it's too bad he didn't die by like flamethrower. I know. I just like every time someone said his name, I'm like mm, nachos crispy. <laughs> um, but yeah, their names have these like really positive connotations you know and the characters named after a saint ends up being the mastermind of the evil plot in the end in a way it's like a really cynical movie right like oh, these totally. these characters are just uh uh calloused and uh evil to like an unimaginable degree and yet they act like normal human beings um so i think that's really like maybe the way in which the whole mumblecore thing and the imp improvisation works the best for the film is that it kind of it means that um you know because the characters feel so real and they feel so much like normal people that it's that much more shocking when we realize like the the depths of their depravity right it's like that adult trope of like money makes you evil yeah money causes problems <laughs> i don't know money is the root of all evil that whole thing well, but it's not just that they want the money, right? Like, um, we see for Crispin that he really resents his family members, which is why I think this is a great Thanksgiving uh, special movie, because, um, you know, this is like the family dinner from hell, um, and we see, like, there's, there's these tensions, right? He has the scene where, with his dad where the dad is like perpetually unimpressed with his academic accomplishments. He like didn't get some fellowship and his dad's like, well, you know, some people did get the fellowship. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, he's arguing with his older brother at the dinner table and he's just like, 
we just see that he just really doesn't get along with his his family members and you know uh unbeknownst to us at that point it's like gotten to the point where he's like okay i'll just have them all killed <laughs> so oh yeah last before we go um i wanted to talk about the score because we forgot to talk about it with bride of frankenstein which is oops uh, missed opportunity because that you know has a really great score um what did you think of the score here um <laughs> i can't say i noticed it at all yeah i think for for most of the film it's not that noticeable um and it's uh it's kind of weird because there are four different composers for the film what? um and one of them was the director Adam wingard that's crazy um yeah so they kind of just like you know threw the score together you know like had somebody write a piece for this bit or that bit um interesting but where it, I think gets really noticeable is when um, she's like the last survivor and she kind of like goes into, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger mode and starts setting up traps and like doing all kinds of clever stuff to kill off the killers one by one. Um, and when that happens, we start to get this like really awesome, like heavy uh, synth score um, that's like do 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 and uh uh my girlfriend was like uh what is this stranger things <laughs> um, it's got it's got a very very like 80s you know john carpenter kind of vibe to it well now i wish i'd paid attention because that sounds awesome it is it, yeah it really i think it's it's really neat um that it's it's kind of surprising like it's it's very different from the rest of the score I don't know. I kind of like that approach to like 80s nostalgia or like homages rather than, I don't know, some other stuff. So like the actor who plays Tariq is the director, Ty West, who also did The House of the Devil. And why I like that movie, I think that kind that style of like 80s nostalgia in movie form is kind of played out at this point. You know, you have Stranger Things. Um, so that one like even has like film grain to make it look like a late seventies, early eighties movie. And, you know, the whole movie is like filled with stuff where it's constantly reminding you that, you know, this is in the style of, you know, a John Carpenter movie or, you know, something from that time period. Um, whereas here it's like, it only puts that in where, where it wants it, you know, um, it uses it for effect. Mm -hmm. The rest of the film feels very modern. So let's hope your next is considered a, a classic in years to come. It's one of my favorites. Um, and uh, I hope that all of you in our listening audience, our vast um, <laughs> army of listeners, uh, enjoyed it as well and enjoyed hearing us talk about it. Next time we're going to be watching Nosferatu. So join us for that. Uh, see you then. Bye.